Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Roman's Empire podcast. And a very special episode, right, Sam? We have a special, special guest in the house. Brandon Busby from the London is Blue podcast is joining us today. Um, honestly, Brandon has been one of the most supportive uh, people in terms of getting the Roman's Empire podcast on the map and getting a little bit of notoriety. He just hands out advice. Um, we met up in London, had a few beers together. Um, really got nothing bad to say about this guy. So without mm. further ado, uh, welcome to the podcast, Brandon. Yeah, it's nice to finally jump on. I know, like you said, we we talked this past summer and you guys were talking about the idea and I said nothing but let's make it happen. I'm pumped for you guys. So I'm glad to see that you're you're we're already to the end of the season. You guys are still going strong and I'm honestly like really excited to be on. Yeah, because, you know, Brandon, I when we first talked about it, I think it was more of like a discussion and I don't think either of us really believe that we would start it. And I think that, you know, you encouraging us from the beginning, that was probably the main reason why we actually even got started. So uh, take credit for gave, that. Gave us some hope, man. Yeah, take credit for that. Basically. <laughs> hey, absolutely. I mean, when we started, I did the same thing to Stanford Chidge. And uh, that's why we call him the Podfather, man. He yes. uh, he helped us going as well. So yep. it, all, it all goes back to him. So anyways, pumped to talk Chelsea, not the – season's wrapped up yeah let's get into yeah. it um so this first part we're gonna do a little season review um since we since this is a special episode uh, we got a couple questions um and i want to hear everyone's thoughts so the first point that we're going to talk about is who is the player of the season you want you want to take it off brandon since you're the special guest sure um i think that the angola conte argument is really hard to argue with. Um, I know I do have my, my goalkeeper bias with Tibor Courtois. It's some big saves, but that Barcelona match really sticks out to, to myself as a lot of others. So I just think from the beat, start to finish, you know, William had a great 2018, but then he got benched towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think that if you have to look holistically from, from start to finish and, you know, August to now, I just think that N'Golo Conte match after match just was a consistent eight or higher every single game. Yeah, I, I, I got to agree with Brandon. Um, I know it's the first question, but I mean, seriously, if you're looking at this whole season, um, you know, under a magnifying glass, I think the only consistency that we saw out of anybody was with N'Golo Conte. So, um, yeah, I agree. We didn't see anything less than an eight from him. So kind of hard to argue. Yeah, you said it perfectly, Brandon, when you said that it's hard to argue against. I I, I can't think of anyone else. Uh, I mean, Courtois did have a good season, but I mean, I don't know if you've listened to our past couple episodes, but me and Zach have been hating on him a little bit, um, maybe undervaluing him a little bit. But um, I think N'Golo Conte is, is the for sure answer. Um, so next point we want to talk about, who on Chelsea was the most disappointing player this season? It's interesting. You know, it's it's a little difficult. I think a lot of people are going to look to to Bakayoko, and, and partially because of all the hype that came around him. But there's also a massive amount of pressure on his shoulders because Modic left. So we knew that the team was going to have this massive hole in midfield. And at that point, the only other person we signed was Drinkwater, you know, in the midfield, really. So I think that Bakayoko had a lot of pressure. But to to me, it has to be a record signing. Yeah, like Alvaro Morata, the the man uh, had an impossible task leading the line after Diego Costa, but the fact that the club spent you know uh, record money on him 
And I know he had a back injury, so I don't hold that against him. But overall, I just think that he didn't give us what we wanted. And especially with a lot of the struggles he had individually, uh, adapting to the physicality of the, of the Premier League, not really understanding, you know, kind of how that striker center back relationship exists on the field. It just, it, it just didn't really click for him, uh, unless you're playing the smaller team. So for me personally, I, you know, I think that we also see how much, we missed a striker when Giroud came and he immediately won the hearts of every Chelsea fan by being that big body up top that could hold the ball. So uh, again, I, I feel like a lot of people will say Bakayoko, but for me, um, I'm actually a lot more disappointed with Murata just mainly because of the amount of money we spent on him as well. That, that's funny. Cause I would actually think that Murata would be the most popular answer because just because of the signing, the, the amount that we signed him for over Bakayoko. Zach, yeah, Zach, you wanna, I, yeah I mean, I, I agree with what Brandon's saying. I think uh, Murata has been incredibly disappointing um, considering the price tag that came along with him. Um, but I'm going to go with Bakayoko, um, mainly because we saw him come in um, against Tottenham right off of an injury, didn't really have a preseason. So, I mean, to be fair, um, my expectation wasn't too, too high on him to begin with. But when we did see him come come in against Tottenham, um, he played fan he, he he was fantastic. I mean, he was all over the place, breaking up cha- breaking up tackles, um, carrying the ball, driving forward, um, linking up play. He basically did it all. And then we we saw this huge dip in form um, right around the new year, and that is sort of where our season kind of all collapsed. I mean, you could argue that Morata's goals were a big part of it, and they were. Um, and I think both of them kind of go hand in hand in terms of Bakioko's performances and Murata's performances. But when Bakioko actually shows up and when he plays well, um, we tend to play well as a team. And I think uh, the perfect evidence of that is the Atletico match, um, the FA Cup final, um, the Tottenham match at Wembley. So I'm going to go Bakioko um, mainly because when he does play well, it allows us to be more adaptive in terms of formation. Um, it allows us to be more aggressive, and it also allows us to be more physical. I just think uh, he puts the team, he brings the team together. He's 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 that glue. When he plays well, the rest of the team plays well. So um, we didn't see it too much from him this season, but um, I'm gonna say he's been the most disappointing. But at the same time, going looking into next season, he's actually the player I'm most excited to see. Um, I'm really curious to see how he grows as a player moving on and. I do think he has a Chelsea future, and I can't wait for him to prove, you know, all the all the doubters wrong. And isn't that crazy? Go ahead, sorry. Like we, we had the chant at the beginning of, this, of the season, right? Bakayoko plays with Fingolo, never gives the ball away, and then <laughs> immediately fell off a cliff. And yeah, everyone it was the wrote chant. him off. I, it was the chant. It, it cursed his head. him, I guess. <laughs> I think it was you too know, soon. It, you know, it might have been, but the the amount of people who were like done, written them off, sign him, or I'm sorry, sell him, get rid of him, we're done with it. I was on that train. And then you see these, the, I, hey, it, a lot of frustration was had, and understandably so. Nami Footy put together a video that highlighted how bad he was for a while, and it, it, it was obvious. But now he play, he finished the season so well that, like mm-hmm. you said, everyone is so excited to see what a summer off, getting him healthy coming back for a second season, what he can do. I think that that's such a crazy roller coaster of a season for that guy. I mean, I, I was just thinking to myself the other day, and it's kind of off topic, but 
if Sari does come in or when he comes in, I mean, we're looking at a possible midfield three of N'Golo Kante, Bakioko, and possibly Loftus-Cheek if we don't dive oh, into yeah. the market. I mean, if you want to talk about just brute strength and physicality and bringing back that old Chelsea identity of just having this incredibly physical, solid spine, I mean, I think that's a great building block to have. Zach, your answer I thought was really great because um, I think the difference between like picking between Bakayoko and Murata is that there were mo- more moments this season where you really saw what Bakayoko could be. Murata showed like more, I think, like chances for him to him for him to be a bust, and you know just the fact that Bakayoko could be so good, it's more frustrating. Um, but I'm gonna give my answer, and I was gonna I originally was gonna do Murata, but I actually changed my mind while we were making the script. Um, just looking at um, Cesc uh, Fabregas' numbers from last season, and if you only count for his uh, Premier League appearances, he came up with 5 goals and 12 assists. And I think that you can blame... Uh, and this season, in 49 appearances in all competitions, 3 goals and 5 assists. He was huge. He was just monumental for um, our team this past... I mean, last season... Um, and I think that, of course, a reason why his dip in like in performance this season was due to um, Bakioko's poor fl- poor play and um, Conte kind of f- forcing being forced to play him in a two man midfield, which he was not comfortable in. It's not his role, um, mm-hmm. but you know I think that also really affected Morata's season as well. Just because you know what what's a striker without a, a great midfielder? And you know if you take if you add seven more assists to Fabregas's numbers, which is what he had last year. You know, I know that Morata's going to be the guy behind a couple, a couple of those goals at least, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I thought I just wanted to have a different answer, and I honestly was disappointed with Cesc this season. Um, uh, so you guys want to go to the next question? You have no, yeah. you have no response to what I said. It was just so on point. <laughs> well, Sam, you know how I feel about that. We talked about it multiple times on the show. It's it, You can't really blame Sesk for being played in that too. Yeah. I mean, he's just being asked to do something that he can't. But at the same time, um, you know, you look at his teammates around him. I mean, everybody, for the most part, had a down year. Yeah. So, of course, Sesk's numbers are going to suffer as well because, you know, he, he's not having he, – he doesn't have the runners around him that he had last season – or the runners that are around him aren't in the, aren't in the same form that they were last season, or, or banging in as many goals. Um, and I think I think a big reason why Cesc's numbers have dipped as well is because we haven't had Pedro in the lineup. Um, Pedro's very direct; he's a direct winger, and, and he gets goals. It's that simple. Um, but it's he only gets goals when he gets a run of games in. So you know, when you got a guy like Willian playing on one side and Hazard on the other, they're not the most uh, direct goal scoring threat. They're they're more creators. Um, so I, th- I think that has something to do with his numbers, but I mean, it's just a thought, just throwing it out there. All right. Uh, Brandon, did you have anything else you wanted to add or should we just go to the next one? No, that, honestly, that was like the exact same thing I was thinking is a, everyone was down relatively, but, um, yeah, I think that he actually was a sub more times than not last season because it's Matic and N'Golo. Mm-hmm. So he was also coming in at the end of game when teams are tired and he was fresh. That's um, a great point. Diego Costa was a lot more clinical last season than we've had this season. Um, And then, uh, yeah, him in a two-man midfield is just a a train wreck in motion. Yeah, I I miss Montage more than anyone. uh, It it was was just – it was a tough season without him. All right, so let's go on to the next one. Um, 
What what do you guys think was the signing of the season? Um, I'll start with this one. I think it's obvious. I think it's Rudy. Um, he's just been so solid in the back, and, and and he brings us he brings us something that we really haven't had in a really long time, and that's this combination of athleticism and technical ability. Um, and and I remember, I think it was, it might have been uh, the Burnley match. Um, it could have been a Burnley match. Anyways, I just remember seeing the first time where he flicked a 70-yard diagonal ball um, to one of the wingers. And, and it's so pinpoint accurate. And just to have someone in the back line that could do that, that could distribute, that could that could be that threat, um, it's so valuable. And, you know, as the season moved on, his, his price tag was not only justified, but uh, it was actually – it actually turned into a bargain for us. I mean, if you're looking at the market now – um, and you see all the center backs that are that are available to get a guy to put in a perform or a, to get a guy that's Rudy's quality is going to cost you upwards of 50 million nowadays. And the fact that we got him for in and around 35 is just it's an absolute seal. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to have him and I'm glad that we have him because, you know, I, I think that's somebody that we're going to have in our back line for a very, very long time. Rudiger is a freak of nature, like pure athleticism. Uh, he's He's been great. And he's coming off an ACL injury from about 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, typical Chelsea to buy someone fresh off an injury. But he proved it. Uh, I, you know, I, this is such a, a, a question that I laugh at because I absolutely just have been disgusted with the transfers this season outside of Rudiger <laughs> and, and – um, and obviously Giroud, uh, you know, but look, we were looking at Crouch and Andy Carroll before Giroud. Like, yeah. Hey, Ashley Barnes, still, man. Should have. Yeah, still still blows my mind. And so I think that, it, you know, while it's a really low bar to be set, uh, the goals that Giroud came in and, and gave us obviously got us to the FA Cup final, uh, scored in the FA Cup final. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Hazard scored the penalty, but the run up to it, the goal against Liverpool, Mm-hmm. Uh, I, if he wouldn't have come in and given us a fresh approach, I don't know how far Chelsea would have slid down the table this season. I think Rudiger was immense, but also thought that our center back was the strongest position we had across the mm-hmm. line. Um, so to me, I think that Drew is the signing of the season because that was the biggest problem area we had between Mishi and Murata for the first half of the season. But again, I don't want to discount anything that, that Rudiger did. Zach, I, I, I honestly don't think it was a good idea to bring Brandon on the pod because I was going to give the same exact answer and he just <laughs> stole it straight from me. Uh, and I was literally going to use, use the same argument about our back line being so strong and just having, I mean, not so strong, but definitely our strongest point. But and Deepest. This, yeah. And yeah, we go really deep in uh, center back. Uh, but uh, I feel like that. Um, so anyway... I don't know if you guys got that joke, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but definitely Giroud. I think like our our season would have been completely deflated, and he brought he brought life back for us. I just think I just think the prospect of having a guy as athletic as I mean, going back to Rudiger, sorry, but I just think the the prospect of having a back line um, with Rudiger and Zuma possibly next season. I mean, just in terms of athleticism and I'd say and freakishness. I'd also say that it's be- the better long-term signing. Um, Giroud yeah. obviously is not going to be a long-term solution for us, um, but it, I think 
we might have gotten a gem with Rudy. We'll see. Um, yeah. So let's go on to our next question uh, of our season review. What do you guys think was the goal of the season? Brandon, you want to start off with this? It's hard for me not to go with the 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 Chelsea's official goal of the season, where William put it away, you know, after like the one touch kind of combination, just because it was such a pretty team goal against Liverpool. Um, the Huddersfield. Oh, Huddersfield. Yeah, Huddersfield. Okay, good. I don't want you to take my answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I you know it, that was just it was just so fun, especially to see Mishi involved. Like, I don't get it, but any time that like Mishi does something well, like. You're just such a proud parent moment for the guy. And, <laughs> you know, he was involved with it and, and, and you know, it had a successful little run in there as well. So, like I said, just the fact that uh, the amount of guys that were involved in that, that was one of our very, very few team goals of the season. So I know it's kind of an easy cop out, but it, it was it was easily, the, I think, the prettiest goal we had. Yeah. You know, I remember that same exact game. I think Hazard had a goal as well. And there's a there's a shot that a cameraman got of Michi laying on his back with his hands yeah. behind his head <laughs> while, yeah. while Azard struck the ball, like he knew it was going in. I, I just thought, <laughs> I mean, for me, that was, that was probably one of the best moments to the season. I know I'm going a little bit ahead, but if I'm going to talk he about the best it. goal of the season, I think, uh, I think Marcus Alonso at Wembley, his free kick, um, just the sheer fact that it was against Tottenham, is good enough to make it the goal of the season for me. Um, but also, unfortunately, that didn't that didn't come the game that you went to. Yeah, uh, mm. no, don't even remind me. But um, <laughs> you know, just just having someone on the field with that technical ability and that and that set piece threat, um, it's so valuable. And uh, you know, he proved it there. So I'm gonna go Marcus Alonso at Wembley. I, I like how we all have different answers because that just it's, which, which is ironic because we didn't really score that many goals this season. But my favorite moment, looking back, um, I honestly, I, I've I've grown to really envy Liverpool this season just because uh, of the way Mo Salah has been playing. And I know that, you know, that that could that could have been us right now, going to the Champions League final and um, walk and like you know now now that we won silverware and they walked away with nothing. And looking back at the two games we had. We we won the second matchup, but the first one, it was like a amazing like last minute equalizer by William, and I just I remember that goal so vividly and just being so happy that I went in. And I have a Liverpool f- uh, fan friend, and for the next like week and a half, every day I would send him a link of that video just to rub it in his face. So I think I just had an, a special affinity for that goal. That was, I mean, William was just so great for like three months of the season and i don't and just i don't know what happened after but just didn't get selected yeah, but you know yeah. the funny thing is is was that was a completely unintentional goal i mean was that a cross I th- yeah yeah i think it was it i mean it looked like it could have been a cross but i think just the timing of it how hilarious it was another another uh uh what's it called honorable mention for hilarious goal was uh was uh the one where he hit Marcos Alonso in the face <laughs> and was it the oh, FA yeah. Cup semis or or no those are the last no, like it was, it was like uh, the last it was Huddersfield at home yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was like okay great I, oh no that was second yeah second to last game 
Like that that gave us the draw <laughs> instead of losing it. It's funny is, that we could laugh was... about it now that we have a trophy in our another trophy in oh, our yeah, cabinet. Yeah, because I was but... I was not laughing at that time. If we was, lost the cup final, sure. we would definitely <laughs> not be talking about that. Oh yeah. Um. All right. So w- me and Zach actually answered this question um a couple weeks ago. Um. But so Brandon, I just kind of want to get your answer. What was the best moment of the season? You think? Well, you know, anytime you win a trophy, it was massive. Uh, even the FA Cup uh, w- was really, really big. Um, it-, it was a nice way to end the season, and it's still an important trophy. Obviously, priorities are a little bit different these days, but to me, I think that just the way the season went, it was a hor- horrible start to the season. It was a horrible middle of the season, and we finally put together a nice little run uh, in the second half, but you know, you, you broke the 26 year home winning streak against Spurs. I was there as well. Um, you know, Champions League run didn't go well. It's just, you know, there's a lot of things like Chelsea just didn't get over the finish line, uh, didn't finish first in the group stage of Champions League. All these things ended up getting Barcelona in the draw, had the chance to knock them out, didn't do it. But yet a Roma team did who was in our qualifying group. Just to me, there's a lot of, Almost and should have and could have. So, you know, it, to me, it was just the FA Cup. Yeah, because the way you talked before, it sounded like you were about to answer what was the worst moment of the season. <laughs> All of those depressing. Hey, uh, man, that's, that's Chelsea. <laughs> uh, I think uh, and then the next part of our question was what was the worst moment of the season? Um, I. I mean, I got I got to give it to just the whole season in general. I mean, I can't I can't I honestly cannot point to a single. Actually, I think the the worst mat point was when we lost like two games in a row. Um, it was against uh, was it Stoke and um, Burnley, right? Was it? No, it was. Oh no, it was so, Watford, Watford and Bournemouth. Watford oh, and yeah. Bournemouth. Oh, oh yeah, it was yep. four. It was like a four nil, then three nil right after. Uh, I think those two games combined was for sure the worst moment of the season. It was just like we were we were inching towards you know top four, and we just needed to you know beat these next couple teams that were clearly inferior to us. And we got not only did we lose, we just got destroyed. It was embarrassing. It was also the easiest part of our schedule. What yeah. I remember around New Year's is when we played all the mid to lower table teams, and that's really where we were going to make our money this season. And just really disappointing that we dropped those two games. But if I had to pick the worst moment of the season, it's my very first Chelsea game at the bridge against Tottenham, like Brandon brought up. I was sitting right next to Dan Silver that game, and it was just a shit afternoon overall. We had some ticketing problems. We got stopped at the gate. We missed kickoff. We showed up about 11 minutes into the match. Um, we got to celebrate like crazy when Morata scored his goal. Um, we got to moan at Victor Moses every time he gave the ball away. It was just, uh, I flew all the way to London to watch Chelsea play Tottenham and to watch Chelsea beat Tottenham, and we lost. So, I mean, th- th- that's my worst moment of the season. And everybody who listens to the pod knows how much I hate Spurs in general. They're, they're my least favorite football club of all time. Um, one of the, the – probably the sports franchise I hate the most in general. Um, but, yeah, I mean, by far the worst moment of the season was against Spurs. I mean, just the whole experience um, really kind of sucked. But, hey, man, <laughs> hanging, out, hanging out with Brandon at the Atlas Pub after was kind of made up for it, didn't it, Brandon? <laughs> that was a long night. <laughs> oh, a very, very long and night. Brandon, I'm not sure if you knew this or not, but uh, Zach's girlfriend – 
purposely scheduled the return flight the day after the game out of yeah. fear that if uh, they ended up losing, which they did, that she Our would just trip. completely ruin the trip. <laughs> so, hey she, man, she, wow. she planned well. Dude, she and she was she was completely right. She was spot on. It would you would not have been in good mood the rest of the trip. Leave me alone. I don't want to get croissants. <laughs> yeah <laughs> or crumpets uh, why did i say croissants crumpets <laughs> it, yeah it was, it was a rough couple days obviously now that we've released the videos it's uh everyone can see why we stuck around as long as we did but it, it was definitely glum um so i guess i can give you a little insight we when we went and visited cobham at that point after the spurs match uh you know we didn't really talk to a lot of the players but you saw them in passing right and even like aspie just real kind of stoic face not not a lot of emotion there wasn't a lot of energy in the building like you could tell everyone was upset it was not like a friendly place to be like we just sat there and were quiet the whole time while we were waiting like there was no mingling between the guys or anything it was it was a little tense at that point but it's good to see the guys take it so serious uh losing to spurs in, in the fashion they did um but but for me i think the lowest point which, you know, even though we lost uh, those two matches to, to Bournemouth and Watford, and, and that was bad, and you drew West Ham, we were still in it, right, until the last couple games, and we beat Liverpool. But then to go and make six or seven changes and to draw Huddersfield off a face smash goal on Alonso, <laughs> to me, was just ridiculous. Um, like, there's no reason we shouldn't add our starting lineup out there. You have to t- play like every game is a cup final at that point because it literally is. And I just felt like, you know, Conte made too many changes and didn't give the team the best chance to win. So for me, uh, that Huddersfield match, uh, two games from the end of the season, I mean, that's what killed it. We had a chance to still make top four until that result. Hey, Brandon, off topic, and and I know it's off the script, but I mean, you mentioned you were at Cobham right after the Tottenham match and mm-hmm. like the general feeling was, I mean, pretty down. I mean, mm-hmm. what could you explain that feeling a little bit more? What do you think was going through the players' heads? Did they still have hope at that point? Were they were they uh, completely were they more disappointed in themselves or were they feeling sorry for themselves is, I guess, what I'm yeah. trying to ask. Yeah, I mean, so I kind of have to, like, make some assumptions or, or draw some of my own conclusions. Um, but, I mean, we had been there the previous year when Chelsea were about to win the title. And, the like, the energy around the – and we didn't see the first team at all. We were with the Chelsea women, actually. Um, but the vibe around the training facility was much more upbeat. upbeat. The staff were happy. Uh, people were a lot more interested in engaging with you this time around when we went. Um, it was quiet in the training facility. No one was talking. We saw Zapacosta doing some physical work by himself. We saw Ampadu doing some recovery. We saw, you know, Courtois walk through, uh, again, Aspie. No one was said hi, really. Like, you would just get a quick eye glance, but no, like, they weren't even talking to other staff members. So, to me, that just shows you that the, the team wasn't in a good place at that point. People mm-hmm. just were upset with the the bit of a run they were on at that point because uh, we hadn't gone on a, you know, and they just were not happy about the result, it felt like. So I, I think it was more just a, a typical, uh, look, these guys are massively competitive. They didn't get the result. It was against a rival. Um, they were just still, you know, having the emotional after effects of, um, you know, the loss. So nothing like deep, nothing crazy, just. 
you know, trying to deal with the, you know, getting ready for the next game coming off such a terrible result. Yeah, that's interesting because I was wondering whether there was like that general sense of, oh, shit, it's all over. Or if there was that, wow, we really fucked that one up, you know. Um, yeah. It's just you didn't get a look at Conte, though, did you? Did, no. Did you? OK, no, that's, he was that out an interesting one. He was out. We so I mean, we we watched training for a while and he was out there. But um, yeah, it, it it was pretty quiet. They actually had the team split into two different groups. So it was only okay. about half the guys out there at a time. Oh, gotcha. So the Marcus Alonso face goal has been mentioned two different times this episode. Uh, I'm about to bring it up a third time for this last question um, about what what this year's season defining moment was. Um, and I think it's that goal because it hurt. It must have hurt like a bitch. It, you know, getting smacked in the face. It, you know, it, it's, it was rough. It's definitely rough throughout this whole entire season. It was rough paying attention to this. I mean, sticking with this team and watching them. But it ended with a goal. You know, so through all that pain, you know, we still ended up with a trophy. So I think that, you know, going through that shit and having still like just like a luck of the draw kind of thing, like ending of the moment, like we walk away with silverware. Like that's that was just, I think, the perfect way to describe our season. Just that one moment. Uh, I, I, I guess I'll take it from here. I mean, if I had to pick a season defining moment. Um, I'm just imagining Christensen giving the ball away to Iniesta at the bridge. Oh, right. Um, because that was brutal. That at, it was that very moment where I started to feel pessimistic, and usually I'm the optimistic one. Um, usually I'm trying to find some sort of bright side or some sort of, you know, light in the dark, and I had hope, man. I thought we were playing Barca really, really well. I thought we were doing the business again. And, uh, you know, just seeing him give the ball away, especially Christensen, of all people, um, to Iniesta, of all people as well. It's just that yeah, was like a, not a worse player it could, whose feet it could land at. It so was at that moment. Messi, it's like one of the greatest of all time duos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and And it was at that moment where I was just like, you know what? This isn't our year. This really isn't our year. There's no coming back from this. So, yeah, I'm going to go Christensen giving the ball away. That also kind of, like, showed everyone that he wasn't perfect. I mean, he had played rock solid to that point. All of a sudden, yeah. everyone's like, uh-oh. Throughout uh, the season, not just that game, throughout the season. It, yeah. yeah. Exactly. No, absolutely. So that that was a bit of a, a wobble for him. Um, so I'm going to rewind it way back to the summer when the whole Antonio Conte, Diego Costa fallout. Uh, um, oh, I think that was massively defining two reasons. A, we lost Diego Costa. That was a massive loss. I get he's ornery and probably a huge pain to manage, but the dude bangs in goals. Like, mm-hmm. right. You deal with, you deal with that because of the success that comes with it. Also, it created a massive rift in the dressing room, especially with the Brazilians. Uh, uh, I'm not going to speculate on the David Luiz injured, not injured. Uh, I'm not going to speculate on why William didn't play at the end of the season. And he put the trophy emojis over Antonio Conte or that Kennedy went on loan. There's just a lot of obvious things that it created issues within the locker room and the manager versus player relationship that I think uh, reverberated throughout the entire season. Um, so to me, I actually think this summer 
was uh, massively defining for for the uh, the entire season. Yeah, I think that's such a good point because, you know, I last season was a fairy tale, and I think every other Chelsea fan was kind of caught in this dream as well, where we're thinking to ourselves, how the hell did he fall out with Juve? He's such a nice guy. Like, look at him. Mm-hmm. He's always smiling. He's always laughing in press conferences. The players seem to love him. Yes, he's intense, but the players seem to respond well to that. And, you know, the, the second the Diego Costa rumors started coming around and there was this supposed rift between them and, you know, I just started thinking about it and I'm like, man, you know, this is this is brutal. I mean, this would be a major, major blow. And I honestly didn't know how we were going to recoup. If I'm going to be honest, I didn't I, I didn't even think Morata was the right answer, um, at least not yet, because, you know, he's not the finished article, obviously. Um, but, you know, bringing up the whole Diego Costa thing is a good point, because over the summer when the Lukaku rumors came out, I thought that was our season defining moment. Uh, I yeah. thought that was going to be that was going to be the signing that would, you know, kind of dictate what Chelsea we're planning to do in the next few years and what they were really trying to build. And the fact that we didn't land him, um, you know, so disappointing. So I guess that's an honorable mention, but and Zach, I don't mean to throw you under the bus, but I remember we were just debating on it, but you, you said at the beginning of the season, when we got Murata, you said, I, I believe that this is actually the striker that Antonio Conte wanted yeah. over, over yeah. Lukaku. And I, <laughs> I really don't think that was the case looking back. I mean, it could have been, but I think that, without a doubt, Lukaku would have been a way better fit for us this year. I mean, who yeah. knows? He didn't have the best season either, but he's doing Hey, good. hey, he hey I'll, I'll admit, I'll, I'll admit when I'm proven wrong, and I mean, it was speculation. I was definitely proven hey, it was, wrong it was here. Good so. for the debate. Well, that was tough getting through. Um, a season review of a season like this is never easy. Um, but great talking points from all of us, I think. Um especially me. But uh the next point. <laughs> let's 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 get into some club news. Um not too many things that aren't just ridiculous rumors that we shouldn't even waste our time talking about. Um but the first thing uh Frank Lampard and Jody Morris um of course both Chelsea legends on the brink of managing Derby County. Um what are your thoughts? Um, I think you're going to get slaughtered for your pronunciation of Derby County. First of all, Derby, um, Derby. <laughs> but uh, no, but uh, you know, like I, I, I love this. I love everything about this. And I think it's a long time coming and I forgot who tweeted it today, but I remember seeing a tweet that said every single diehard Chelsea fan is going to be watching Derby County very closely next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's spot on. Um, you know, we always talk about Chelsea and, and specifically the board's issue with hiring a manager that has, the club ingrained in them and has a club in their blood. And I mean, Jody and Frank Lampard can't think of two people that have bluer blood than them other than JT possibly. But, um, you know, former Chelsea players getting into management, I'm all for it. I think possibly this could be something in the future, but again, it's Chelsea. So I'm not getting my hopes too far up. Um, but yeah, I mean, wish them the best, hope they do well. And it, I think it'd be interesting to see how the development squad does without Jody. Um, I think that's the part that I'm more interested in seeing than anything is just how could they, um, you know, obviously winning titles left and right. How could they find a suitable replacement or who will they find as a suitable replacement? Um, that's going to be the interesting part to see. 
Well, so the you know, I guess it's interesting, right? Now there's speculation. John Terry just announced he's leaving Aston Villa. Will he go to Derby County? Right? Ooh, like it's a good immediate point. link. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if he will. It's a hot take. Um look, Lampard has made no uh secret of his desire to manage. I love that he's not taking the gigs route or the Gerard route saying, Nope, I have to be offered a top job, otherwise I'm not taking it. He's like, I'm getting my hands dirty, let's go figure this out. Look, no surprise to any Chelsea fan. Yeah. Also, him, you know, he came into Chelsea the second half of the season and was working alongside Jody Morris with the U18s. We saw a lot of that on the on the club's content they're putting out from video and, and Instagram. So we know that that makes a lot of sense that they're very familiar with each other. Uh, it's interesting. You actually brought up the fact that how will the the 18s and the development squad do without Jody? And that's exactly what I said in our text group with uh, with our podcast team. And Nick said, not worried at all. He's about the third manager to have unbelievable amount of success with that team. Our academy is a factory of talent right now. Like, we'll find someone else. And so, you know, I give me a vote of confidence to feel like our academy uh, will like they're they're too they have too many riches to not be successful. Um, but you know, we could just be on our side being a little naive and, and, and just being a little cocky. But when you've had you know, practically almost three years uh, with only about three or four losses total, uh, you know, they, they gave up what one goal the entire uh, dev season. Uh, it was like at the very end against Arsenal. I mean, the, 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 the performances that those guys put out, it, it's, it's honestly unbelievable. Um, so it, I, I think that a new manager will still have success, but uh, Jody's not making it easy. So good for him. And it's funny because yeah. a couple weeks ago, or I think last week, me and Zach were hoping for possibly Jody Morris to come on as our mm-hmm. manager and Frank Lampard to mm-hmm. come in as a possible new uh, technical director for the club. Um, mm-hmm. But Anything is possible. Yeah, and I think that the fact that uh, them two going together with you know the previous link might be an indication that you know maybe it's just a, a little bit of training. Because, I mean, Darby, they, they have a lot of money to spend. And, um, you know, this is, it's, it's, it's a team, obviously you can't compare it to Chelsea, but Chelsea has money to spend. And I think they're just getting their feet wet on a, on a, you know, uh, championship team. So, um, we'll see. We'll I think, I think that is really good speculation. And I think that you said it, what you said, Zach is exactly right. Chelsea fans will have his eye on their eyes on them. Um, so the next point we want to talk about, um, I know I said that, you know, we weren't going to really discuss any rumors, but there's one rumor in particular that caught the eyes of all three of us. Um, Zach in particular, this was a big fan. Um, yep. Felipe Anderson um, from Lazio. He is rumored to, I mean, Chelsea is rumored to be making the move to get him. Um, this past season, he he did have a little bit of injury, injury history. He tore his abductor muscle um, and returned you know, back in early December for Europa League. So his total numbers, looking at it, um, 32 appearances, including 17 off the bench, uh, with eight goals, 10 assists. And in the Serie A, he only started for nine games um, and came off the bench for 12. Um, so that's, uh, I'm just calculating in my head, 1,152 minutes. Whoa. Um, yeah, fast math, math Thank you. Um, and uh, four goals and seven assists. So, I mean, when you look at, his numbers from a macro level, nothing really stands out. But when you look at that um, and you see, you know, 
in only nine games, he had four goals, seven assists. I mean, I think that he would be so great for a team, especially if we were able to bring in Sari. I mean, what do you guys think? My only worry, my, or my only real concern, is that if we're going to go after another another winger, especially a pacey one, where does Willian fall into the plans if Sari does come in? Um, because this is the only reason why Felipe Anderson is getting linked to us is because Sari is getting linked to us. I mean, yeah. there's no mistake about it. Um, so my curiosity is where does he really sit on Willian? Um, I know he's 29. He's going to be 30 next year. And um, we have to start looking further down the line. Obviously, Felipe Anderson's 25. So, you know, he, he'd be a good option. But at the same time, now that I'm thinking about it, where do we fall with Hazard next season? Will he even be at Chelsea next season? I know he called out the club and said, you know, let's see what type of players we do and, and let me see the club's ambition before I go ahead and sign a dotted line. And I think pursuing a guy like Felipe Anderson might be the right option. I think that's somebody that Hazard would look at and be like, hey, that's a, that, that's a great player. I'd love to play next to him. Or it could it, it could be um, a case of, hey, we're going to bring in Felipe Anderson just in case Hazard walks. So I, I really want to know what the club's ambition is in terms of signing Felipe Anderson. I know they're not going to tell us, um, but he's been the only player that's been linked to us so far that I think is somewhat realistic. I mean, if we're living in dreamland, Mauro Icardi would be really nice right now. But, uh, you know, I mean, I hope these rumors stick around, and I really hope that we do pursue Felipe Anderson hard because this is the type of player that we need and the caliber of player that we need. I, I know Brandon probably feels somewhat similar. Yeah, you know, it's gonna signings are gonna have to come from outside England this summer because uh, Chelsea their only advantage right now is they can pay people way more than what uh, Italy, Germany, and Spain pay, and we don't have Champions League, so it's just the simple situation that um, if you want big big players that are maybe like a level above a Flupe Anderson, you have to pay crazy amount of money, and we just haven't seen the club willing to do that. I actually I put together a Calcio team on FIFA and you know if you have you know you need pace Felipe Anderson is an extremely fast winger uh, he is much more direct than a William so if anything he'd be a great replacement for Pedro who I think should um, not be on the team next season uh, no hard feelings just thank you for your time uh, and, and I think he would do a good job him and Hazard could can link up really well I think that sometimes Hazard and now William have very similar play styles and end up slowing the game down too much where Felipe Anderson, he, he, he has one thing on his mind, get to goal as fast as possible and either shoot himself or find a teammate. So I think it'd be a great addition if we can pull that off. And it, I think you could get him for a good price as well, which is always important. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, when I know Chelsea's definitely going to bargain, right? I mean, we're trying oh, to save the four million on Sari so he could go, uh, so he could go hard after Mario Riccardi, right? It's, it's, isn't isn't that, that the plan? Isn't it pretty much an oxymoron? I mean, they are they are negotiating that was it four? You said four million for the release clause, but they're you know the only other option is to pay an insane amount of money to bring anyone in. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like an oxymoron. A team that would be so stingy with that kind of release money is not going to pay ninety to a hundred million for Riccardi. I mean, I don't know. I mean. Well, well, that's what you get when you have a, a board of directors that aren't footballing people. Oh, right. I mean, it's I just forgot, it's I just that simple. That. And we have no director of football as well. So there's no one sitting there telling them, hey, uh, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be targeting this guy. Maybe you should take a look at this guy. He's a better price. He's a better age. Oh, but super apparently Frank, we don't. Super Frank could have done that. 
for sure. Or Michael Ballack. Ooh. I don't know where those rumors went, but I, I I'm kind of disappointed back. that I haven't seen any of them they come back come yet. Back. Yeah, yeah. That's one rumor that I definitely wouldn't mind uh, <laughs> a return for. Um, no, for sure. Yeah. I think I think it sounds like from what I what we've been hearing that the uh, that technical director rule is something the club are serious about. Uh, I think Ballack might be a little hard just because he's so inexperienced. But from just like an understanding the club and has the right culture mentality and, and kind of eye for style play, I think that he's one for the future. I'd love to see him get into the club in an official role and kind of be an understudy to, to someone. So I'm, uh, do you have a hard on right now that we're talking about Michael Ballack or what's going on over there, buddy? Why do you think I'm not talking right now? I'm too busy. I'm trying, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to repeat the national anthem in my head over and over again to make it go away. Star Spangled Banner. Is that the secret? Yeah, I mean, it helps me. It helps wow. me. It makes it go away. Yeah. Concentrate yeah. on something really boring. Um, so let's uh, let's go to our ne- our last point, uh, last part. So you know, we've been doing this past couple weeks, posting on our Twitter and asking fans for uh, fan questions. And this week we got a couple nice ones. First one from at Nick Lenartson. He asked, "You have you have trouble pronouncing that every week, man." What what's wrong with that, Nick Lenartson? I think I mean the, the double A. I'm I'm a master of what the double A sound is. I have one in my name, so I think my pronunciation is spot on. Um, Fair enough. But uh, so he asks, why doesn't Chelsea? <laughs> he said why do, and he wanted to correct it to the don't. Why don't Chelsea just release Conte and stop the speculations of him staying? It surely must be easier to lose him instead of all high profile players. That's what he asked. <laughs> um, you know, it's not as simple as just axing the guy because we also have to pay him off, right? Um, but not only that, we have to have a replacement. And I think that's where the club is struggling right now. I, I don't think the club are at odds at all whether they want to keep Conte or not. Um, I think that they're smart enough at this point to know that if he does stay – um, they're going to deter a lot of a lot of our high-profile players from signing contract extensions, um, aka Courtois and Hazard. Um, but I just think that it's this whole sorry thing that is kind of stalling the process of giving Conte the sack. And that's, I mean, why we're bargaining for an extra four million, yet we're supposed to believe that you know the club is not in crisis. <laughs> And that the club is in a good financial state and that everything is fine and everyone just needs to relax. But, you know, we're struggling to pay $4 million for for a release clause for a manager that's supposedly going to be worth it. So, th- I mean, that's just where I don't understand. That's where my frustration is mainly because you look at clubs like Liverpool and you look at clubs like Man City who are already on Jorginho and Liverpool's already on Fabinho and United's already putting bids in for Milinkovic Savage and – all the other top clubs, all of our competition is putting in these massive bids and going after quality players that are going to improve their teams, and we still don't have a manager. And I think our issues were a lot more blatantly obvious this season than Man United's or City's or Liverpool's even. Um, so I know it didn't answer the question, but I guess the short version is we can't really release Conte until we bring someone in. And mm-hmm. um, 
you know, it, it is easier to lose him than the high profile players. And to be honest, from my perspective, I'm not worried about losing the high profile players because I'm pretty confident that Conte won't be on the touchline next year. And I also think that a lot of the players are kind of distracted right now with the world, uh, with the World Cup. I mean, although we don't have too many players representing their countries, but I mean, that's just something else to add on. Um, yeah, I, I think I think you know a good source right now is actually Nini on YouTube. He's been cranking out the content and seems to have a really good source aware of the situation. Uh, I've been watching his videos daily actually because of all the different uh, kind of situation, uh, the updates and whatnot. You know, like you said, they they have Conte has a year left, and you know he's playing hardball. He is essentially getting paid to be on vacation right now, and he's in no hurry to come back and, and sorry, it's a really interesting situation. I think they only have until the end of the month, which is like a day or two left mm-hmm. before his release clause is void. And then Napoli they, can hold out for as much as they want. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. I mean, they don't, there's no rush to sack Conte because they have to pay him regardless. So it's just a matter of waiting for that replacement. And, wow. you know, now they've started to look at uh, Laurent Blanc. Uh, cause oh, he's God, no. Exactly. I, I'd rather I have Conte come back another year than chip. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's more of a bargaining chip. But I know Nick asked specifically about the, the, the high-profile players. Um, look, they know exactly what the situation is. Even Gary Cahill, after the match in the summer, has been asked about Conte. And none of them will commit to backing the manager. They all know. They all put it on the club. Hey, the club makes that decision, not us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no one's really coming out saying, man, Conte, I really want him to stay. He's been so great for me as a player in the team. Really? That's and surprising. Me, <laughs> right. You can read into it. You know, they know what the situation is. So, uh, Nick, my man, don't, don't sweat it. It's, uh, the players will stay, but we need to get our act together in the transfer market. Yeah. And we need to do it fast because, I mean, I don't want to curse it or anything, but I just think this Liverpool Fabinho business, I that is just the perfect signing for them. And how the hell he sold for that price, 45 million was it? It's just so beyond me. I mean, couldn't we use another player like that? I mean, Emanalo's over there. He could have helped us out. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Man. <laughs> he definitely could have. But you know what? I, I don't think he wanted to do us any favors. I really yeah, don't. But at not. the same time, I mean, 45 million for a guy like Fabinho, that's Liverpool's just been on a roll lately. I mean, you look at the last two or three years, they've essentially had signing of the season contenders every single year. Sadio Mane, and then uh, Mo Salah, obviously, and now this, and now Fabinho. I mean, you even look at Van Dyke. That was a great Coutinho. signing. Yeah, and Coutinho. Before just, Mane. And then they've just, got Nabi Keita coming in, too, that they bought last year. But oh, he yeah, arrives this Lipsy. summer. Isn't it just isn't it nice to see a club with a technical director and a long-term manager just kind of get their shit together? And... I wouldn't know, Zach. I wouldn't know. Yeah, I don't think any of us do, and that's the sad well, part. Well, I mean, we did, but currently, no, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Um, Brandon, do you have anything you want to add, or should I go to the next one? No, let's keep moving. All right, uh, our final question comes from... Our number one super fan, Chelsea Eric. Shout out to Eric. Love this guy. Um, so he asks a very, very straightforward question. How do I stop myself from checking Twitter every five minutes to see if Chelsea have done anything? <laughs> Sing the national anthem, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever the national anthem of Denmark is. Right? He's from Denmark, right? No, 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 no. Chelsea Eric. He's from, who's he from? 
He's from the States. I think yeah, he's oh, from so LA, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Oh, Chelsea Eric. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of, yeah. You're thinking of Chris from Denmark. Shout oh. out to Chris from Denmark. He hasn't tweeted us in a while. I'm I kind know, of, I uh, that guy. Kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Chelsea but, Eric um, has, has become our number one super fan. Here's the thing. Me and, me and, uh, we were discussing this before we went on air and, and, and we were going over the script and Brandon was, was quick to point out that, you know, it's a good thing you guys don't have a lot of transfer rumors on your script because it's absolutely impossible to keep up with all of them and you have no gauge on what is actually or, or what is actually feasible and realistic and what is just absolute garbage and clickbait nonsense. So, uh, Eric, I think that's the advice I have for you, man. Just, uh, Temper your expectations a bit. You got to be patient. You know, and I know Chelsea does all their business um, late in the transfer windows, anyways. So anything you read now, you always got to take with a grain of salt. Um, but yeah, man, stay logical, stay focused, and the keep your eye on the band. prize. Yeah, just just don't please, don't don't click on those Iguain or Icardi rumors just yet. <laughs> so my advice, obviously, Eric is you are an amazing podcast listener for, for all of us, which is great to see. You just go to Twitter, all right, and you go to at uh, uh, Roman's Empire Pod, and you just click that little bell notification. Then you head over to London Blue Pod, tap that notification, and anything happens. Trust yeah, we'll me, let we you got know. you. Oh, yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. That, that, that's a good shout, Brandon. <laughs> wow, I love that. But, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, always plug in the social media. <laughs> Eric, like, you just got to hold out, man. I, once the World Cup starts, anything that comes out after that, during that time, is is guaranteed to be BS. So you can just uh, kind of rest easy. I mean, it's it's gonna. I'm have the same problem as you for sure. I mean, I can't. I I gotta check Twitter every five ten minutes to see if anything's happened. But I, once the World Cup starts, I think everything that comes out during that time is uh is gonna be BS. But I don't know what to tell you. Once uh, the World Cup's over, you're on your yeah, own. And don't Listen believe to these guys. And don't believe anything Duncan Castle says either. That guy's full oh, of my. shit. So, um, DiMarzio as well. Oh, uh, yeah. Dimar- one last thing I would say, though, is, you know, like, don't just wait until Chelsea sign a manager and make an announcement. Because yeah. if they buy anyone now, it's pure investment to flip for later. Uh, uh, you know, if they're going to if they're knowing they're going to appoint a new manager this summer and they don't uh, and they sign people without him, I mean, that that. No manager wants to come into that situation. So I think just from a uh, the club standpoint of, of being smart, they're not going to make any signs before a, a new manager is announced. So maybe that'll that'll help ease a few days for you. Yeah. Well, Brandon, thank you so much. This was yeah, such man. A great of episode. Total. Uh, uh, it, 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 it's awesome finally getting you on the show, dude. And I know we really haven't talked much since uh, since the trip to London, but we really appreciate it. And um. You know, we hope we could do this again. Hopefully, and I don't know how yeah. I don't know how set you are with the London and his Blue Boys, but I'm definitely not completely tied up with Zach. So I don't know if you're interested. <laughs> me and you can maybe branch off to our Spin own off. thing. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, oh shit. Yeah. I, I thought oh, you were shit. off the line. My bad, Zach. <laughs> yeah, go fuck yourself. But uh, yeah. Thank, th- thanks again, Brandon. We we really appreciate it, and um, we we know you have a new William video that just came out. Uh, an interview with William. So do you want to take a moment just to kind of let all of our listeners know uh what that's about yeah absolutely we uh we had the opportunity last time we were in, in london kind of talked about it now that we got to go to cobham and we interviewed uh paula Freire, Torre andre flow those videos released but today we we released a big one which was william so we sat down with him for almost 20 minutes and and had a, some a great conversation 
Uh, he talks about Callum Hudson Adoy. Uh, he talks about uh, you know John Terry helping him when he arrived originally. Uh, and talks about um, you know just kind of the fact that he hates running in training, which we all laughed about because we're like you're so damn fast. I don't know <laughs> what your problem is. Uh, but honestly, he was he was amazing to to talk to. It was so cool to sit down with us, and uh, we'll be releasing another player video next week. So again, you can guys Ooh. can see all that. It's on at London Blue Pod on Facebook or Instagram. And it's on our YouTube channel as well. So I uh, so awesome. appreciate it. And I'm so pumped to see you guys get through your first season. Uh, I'm, rocks, I'm here man. to help this summer. We'll get on to second season. It's going to be here before we know it. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I appreciate it. And I'm happy to come on anytime I can, guys. I honestly mean it. Perfect, man. Well, we appreciate the good words. Um, but really quick, I just want to take a moment just to thank uh, everybody that's been giving us support this year, not just Brandon. Um you know, it's it's been a it's been a hell of a year, and me and Sam have been learning on the fly, and uh, I feel like most of our listeners have been uh, pretty aware of that and uh, pretty respectful of that as well. <laughs> so uh, we really appreciate all the love and support. Uh, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. Um, send us emails RomansEmpirePod at gmail um, Brandon has been on my ass to start an Instagram page, so I guess I'm going to have to do it eventually. Yes. Probably going to do it this summer. Summer 2018. Psalm um, is also going to be in Russia for the World Cup. Yeah. So keep your eyes open for a couple World Cup uh, specials. And your ears um, open because we're going to be doing a podcast, so you got to listen to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go fuck yourself, Psalm. I can't wait. I can't wait till I have a, a couple weeks without you, man. Um, but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, um, we we honestly appreciate all the support. We hope it continues on the next season. And uh, until then, keep the blue flag flying high.